American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Richard Mark sucks. Richard Mark sucks. Richard Mark sucks. Richard Mark sucks. Episode 46 of American Timelines. American Timelines, the most powerful podcast in the universe. I'm Amy. And I'm Pancreas Phillips. I have the biggest pancreas known to man, and I'm a fat piece of garbage. Okay. Pancreas Phillips, yo. All right. And this is the podcast that brings you all of the nostalgic, crazy, interesting stories from years gone by, and we do it year by year. And tonight we are talking about... 1977. Did that UFO abduction happen the same time Maud barfed on a hobo? Okay. We don't need to. We're not Maybe. Gonna, we don't have to do that. Uh, All we right. Do. People like it. 1977. Nobody likes it. We're in a new. Everybody likes it. Everybody likes it. Nobody, Everyone likes it. Tweet us it. at History for Jerks. Okay. We are presented by History for Jerks. I'm the history. Amy's the jerk. Boom. Okay. Oh. What's the first thing? We're going to start off in 1977. We're going to give you a little timeline of what happened. Where Amy's going to deep dive into a crime or a UFO abduction or something crazy. But I'm going to tell you about fun, cool, happy stuff. And Amy's going to bring it down and make you What's sad. What's the first thing? Start, start off in January 1st, 1977. As you recall, the last episode, we left you at the end of 1976 with Rod Stewart atop the, num- the number one spot of the Billboard charts. Remember mm. that? Yes. Remember tonight's the night. That's right. Wait, how's that go? Tonight's the night. It's going to be And he's like seducing a lady with it. And he's so the hottest. Unattractive. He's the most attractive man Ugh. in the 70s. He's so Every woman wanted, it, wanted him and every man wanted to be him. Kind of like me. With his lip gloss and his frosted tips. There's nothing wrong with that. I got some, I got a frosted tip for you. All right. Uh, but some things in 1977. Slim Fast began selling in 1977. Did you know that? Oh, no, I did not. And after initial hesitation by the FDA, it was approved and came on strong later on in 79. Do you remember there was one called AIDS? That's a different thing. You're thinking of a disease. No, there was these weight loss, and it looked like a box of chocolates. And oh, they yeah? were called They were called AIDS. AIDS, 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 and huh. it, and they were, it was to help you lose weight. You eat them. And Sounds delicious. Then they went out of business as soon as AIDS, be, the disease, became a thing. Oh, but my grandma still has some. Yeah, she probably does. <laughs> she still has tempo. That's yeah. how she's got tums from 1942. Yep. Um, she never throws anything away. It's so disgusting. Yeah. Even if a medicine is like proven to not work and not be safe. Mm-hmm. She will save it and hoard it all, and just take a little bit. Of She's like Elaine with the douches get, and Seinfeld. Can't get this anymore. Yeah, I like that. The sponges. The sponges. You have that's to be what it sponge was. worthy. Yep. Uh, some other things that happened in 1977 at the beginning. Uh, you know, Dusty Rhodes was PWI Wrestler of the Year. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat was P- PWI's Rookie of the Year. These are wrestlers. This is the mm-hmm. year of the debut of Bad News Brown, Hulk Hogan. And Michael P.S. Hayes of the Fabulous Freebirds. All right. What Woo! else? What's next? Uh, it is 
the year 1977 is the year the EPT pregnancy test was available over the counter. Oh, wow. That's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, previously, there was an ancient Egyptian test that was right about two out of three times. And it involved peeing on barley and wheat. Yeah. And that could even tell the sex of the children. This is all according to Wikipedia. What? Yeah. The pro- uh, and then that was all in the ancient times. Previous, way previously, but yeah. you made it sound like just but right, previously, right before, before this, this test there was came nothing. Out, there was nothing. All people did was pee on yes, barley. That's what they did. There was nothing between ancient times no. and 1977 EPT. The product became available in Canada in 1971, mm-hmm. and not in the U.S. until 77 because there were delays caused by concerns over. What do you think the concerns were over? Uh, the unborn child. Sexual morality, mm. yeah, uh-huh. and the ability of women to perform uh, tests and cope with the results without a doctor. Women, because they need, yeah, that they need a man to tell them, yeah. tell them what's happening. And in the seventies, like, no, we can't. No, oh, God, it's so gross. Yeah, it's terrible. That's how things were. And then that things are going to start going right back to where that was too. That's you know, the other there's a group problem. that wants it to be that. Yeah. Um, Headed up by Pancreas Phillips. No. That guy is misogynistic. All right. Luckily, I have killed that guy. He was here at the beginning, but I destroyed him. And my name is Joe. I'm Amy's husband. All right. And we're a happily married couple. Okay, we're done with that. We, bit. We're, so, we're so in love with each other. <laughs> it's like our love never ends. And uh, this is, you know what? This is our first podcast of the new year. Yes. Oh, it is. That's yeah. right. Happy and, New Year. And yeah. we're a little late. We Happy had, New Year, everyone. Took a week off to yeah, travel. did some traveling, saw some family, uh, had kids want me to want us to kill ourselves in the car. Uh, yes. Made us want to kill ourselves in the car, I should say. Uh, mean Gene Ogerlin died. Okay. Rest in peace, Mean Gene. All right. Are let's, you holding up okay let's with go, that? Let's go back to the podcast. This is part of the podcast. No, I mean, Gene Okerlund is, is a, he's this an, is a whole integral side part. affair that I don't feel like I want to be a part of. Well, the captain from Captain Tennille died. Yeah, that's true. And so did Super Dave Osborne. You know what happens in threes. Those three mm-hmm. died. And I'm sad. Uh, but we're going to have to go on. They would. They, mean Gene Okerlund would have wanted all us to go on. The, man, this year's just taking all the greats. I know. Mean Gene, Super Dave, and okay. What's Captain next? And Tennille. Just Captain. Tennille, but did you know Tennille was by his side? Oh, when really? Died? Yeah. That's pretty sweet. She was there. So I take back everything I said about Tennille. January 8th, 1977, Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. take over the number one spot on the Billboard charts. Okay, what song? The first new song of 1977 to be number one. What's it called? You Don't Have to Be a Star you to Be in My Show. You don't have to be a star, baby, to be in my show. It's kind of a weird song. You don't song. have to be rich to no, be my not, girl. That, you ruined it. But what you're saying is Prince copied off of this. Probably. Okay, so a little tidbit, a couple tidbits about Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. They were married. Did you know that? No. They were I a married didn't. couple. Um, uh, and they were both Fifth Dimension bandmates. They were in the band Fifth Dimension. Oh, Did I you know didn't that? know Marilyn McCoo was in that. Yeah, uh, they're both former mem- members of that. Um and this was their off their uh, debut album, I believe. Okay. Um, the album was called I Hope We Get to Love in Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, became a crossover success, spending six months on the charts and soaring to number one on both Billboard Hot 100 and Hot Soul singles charts during late 76 and early 77. 
they were married, and guess what? What? They are still married. What? Yep. Maku. And here's what they you chalk it up to. Maku and Davis are both born again Christians. And that's what we're all to chalk this up to. That's why they're still married. Oh, that's um, why they're still married. I see. They yeah, July twenty sixth, two thousand nine, they celebrated their fortieth wedding anniversary. Pretty sweet. So congratulations, kids. Actually, this summer it'll be their fiftieth. Oh yeah. Because that was two thousand nine. This is twenty nineteen. This will be their fiftieth wedding. If they're still alive, I don't yeah, know. I don't either. There's no way to find out. There's yep. no way to know. There's no instant way to know. Yeah, there's no instant way. I'm sure they're still alive. Um, because they're born again Christians, that means they'll never die. Marilyn McCoo is a member of Sigma Gamma Rho mm-hmm. sorority. Doesn't mean anything. R H O is that Rho? Rho means nothing Ro-ho. to me. Um, yeah, I don't know either, but. Uh, but we're going to get a lot of hate mail from the sorority sisters. <laughs> All those sorority that sisters wrong. that listen. There's a lot of sorority, sorority sisters that listen to our podcast. Yeah. If you are a sorority sister and you listen regularly to American Timelines, if you are one of our 700-plus subscribers, please tweet <laughs> us at History for Jerks and say, hey, I'm in a sorority, and then name your sorority, and then we'll do a whole tweet thing about it. You think that's going to work? Yeah. Yeah. And also check out the hashtag... NYE with grandma. I I did a whole live tweeting of everything my grandma said on New Year's Eve. And it's interesting. Yeah, I sat with my 89-year-old grandma and a lot of it didn't make real didn't things make she sense. said. Nothing that was made up. No, nothing was made up. Some some of the some pauses were deleted for com- <laughs> comical effect. Um like <laughs> when I explained to her who Post Malone was and then she answered with all my friends are dead. Uh, that was kind of funny. Anyway, um, she's an old woman, and she has no friends left. They're all dead. And Happy New Year to you and yours. <laughs> so in a roundabout way, to say Happy New Year to you and yours. And then January 9th, 1977. This is the New Year's episode. Yes. This is a New Year's episode of American Timelines. This is the first time we've ever done a show in the new year. 2019, that's right. We're approaching a year of podcasting. We started this That's in right. February of 2018. That's February. Right. So we're approaching a year. So this is our first New Year's episode. Okay. So throughout the thing, I'm going to be saying Happy New Year, and then I'll sprinkle in things my grandma said. No, we don't need to do that. I might. You don't know. Okay. Just check the, check check us out on Twitter. You can go rehash all that. Um, it was funny, though, because my first tweet was a picture of my grandma, and I said, is everybody ready? Anybody ready for me to live tweet everything my grandma says? Yeah. Uh, for the new year, and like two people liked it, and then the next day, one person replied and said, "Guess nobody was ready because <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody was nobody paying looked, attention yeah. to it at all." It's funny because we don't. All of our followers are bots. January ninth, nineteen seventy-seven, the Raiders defeated the Vikings in Super Bowl. Uh, oh shit! I didn't write down which Super Bowl. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Super Bowl in the fine. Super Bowl, nineteen seventy-seven Super Bowl. We're fine. The Raiders defeated the Vikings by the score of thirty-two to fourteen to win their first Super Bowl. The game was played on January 9th, nineteen seventy-seven, at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. This remains the Super Bowl scheduled earliest during the calendar year. Okay. Did you know that Fred Bolitnikoff was the MVP? I don't give a shit. He was a wide receiver. Okay. And you know who sang the national anthem? No. Nobody. Oh. That's right. Nobody. Was it an instrumental that year? Nope. Nope. They didn't do it? The national anthem was not played. Is that is that the only time? Do you want to know why? Why? Because they figured this is the first year after the um, 
bicentennial, so there's no point in loving America anymore. That's not why. Nope. Instead, Vicky Carr sang America the Beautiful. Oh. Instead of the national anthem. Vicky Carr. That sounds familiar. You know who Vicky Carr is? No, but it sounds familiar. She... I was so positive you knew who she was that I didn't even see who she was. That's all right. We don't, we don't need to go into it. You don't want me to look it up? No. What if she's like your favorite? Anyway, America the Beautiful uh, is what they play instead of the national anthem at every WrestleMania. Oh. A little tidbit of information there for you. Okay. Now I and know. WrestleMania is the premier event in WWE. All right. What's next year. on the thing? What you gonna do, brother? Stop it. When Pancreas Phillips runs wild on you. January 11th, 1977, the number one show that year. You want to take a guess at what the number one show that year was? Hmm, MASH? No. Oh. On the episode, on this episode, on January 11th, Mm -hmm. the two stars of the show call in sick to take a day off of work and have fun. They go on a bike ride, they go to the park and meet two men who they have a great time with until they're arrested for solicitation. Oh. Uh, I don't know. We're going to do it. Laverne and Shirley called yeah. in sick from the brewery. And they were arrested they were for arrested, solicitation. Yeah. You can't date dudes. Wait a minute. For solicitation? Solicitation, Isn't y'all. Isn't prostitution? That's what it is. Laverne so got, and Shirley Laverne are and prostitutes. Laverne and Shirley got arrested for prostitution <laughs> yeah, prostitutes in an prostitution. Oh, my God. Lenny and Squiggy's banging the hell out of Laverne and Shirley, y'all. That was a very special episode of Laverne yeah, and Shirley. it was a very special episode. And it was the, the entire uh, episode was filmed from the waist down. You only saw everybody. It act. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's actually, I mean, it was just the waist down of everybody. And it was just like. A lot of hip action. Yeah, a lot, a lot of, of action. swinging around. Grinding and Lenny and Squiggy. All right, what's next? You got my Lenny stuck in your Squiggy. Anyway, Laverne and Shirley's a great show. I had a crush on both of them. Rest in peace, Penny Marshall. We lost her also right before the end of the 2018. That's so right. I think That's right. we need to do a moment of silence. No, we're not doing a moment of silence. Penny Marshall. So move it along. If you're listening to the podcast, move it along, Larry. You might want to skip to the next vocal thing. So we're going to take a uh, 25 minute no, moment of silence for right. Penny Marshall. What's next? No, Penny Marshall. I, you know, say what you want. I think she was attractive. I'll say what I want. Say what you want. I. I think of Laverne every time you and I are intimate. Okay. You're basically Laverne without the L on your sweater. January 15th, 1977, Leo Sayer is triumphant and takes over oh, the number God. one spot on the Billboard chart for about a week. Um, oh, God, what was it? Because we saw some of these. Yes. I know the there's song. controversy on this song. There's controversy. You make me feel like dancing. You make me feel like dancing. You know, dancing dancing right away. Away. You make me feel. Now, if you hear us sing it the way we just sang it, pretty cool right now, <laughs> the way we sang it, especially yeah. me, uh, you're going to think it's probably a cool dude that sang this song, oh probably God. a badass dude. Uh, go ahead and do yourself a favor and look up Leo Sayer uh, <laughs> oh and a video God. of him singing this. It's he, basically. He looks like Screech. If you can imagine who would get their ass kicked by Arnold Horshack from Welcome Back, Cotter, yeah. it's this guy. Yeah. Like. Screech and Horchak could both beat the shit out of this guy. Yeah. Uh, but there is some controversy. Okay. Uh, because this song was stolen. From? By Leo Sayer stole it. Actually, it's the marketing, you know, it's the record executives that stole it and gave it to Leo Sayer. Oh, okay. Um, um, 
And this was explained on the February 13th, 2012 episode of TV One. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or of TV One's original series, Unsung. Mm-hmm. It aired an episode on Ray Parker Jr., in which he claimed he was the song's original writer, and he was playing the song on the piano, and an executive from Capitol Records heard it and tried to convince him to make a demo tape. Uh, but he he didn't want to. After the song came out uh, by Sayer, Parker Jr. could not claim copyright infringement because he failed to make the tape. So so he's saying, saying that he, this, this this producer came in yeah. and just from hearing it one time was able to go tell Leo Sayer yeah, how it went. I think so. That's that's what it sounds like. And, and Ray Parker Jr. I don't know his whole thing that. is like he's like, hey, yo, I'm not just the Ghostbusters guy. Yeah. Yes, I did the Ghostbusters, and that yeah, I know it was awesome. The right. Ghostbusters theme is great. Who are you gonna call? Yeah, it is the greatest thing ever. But that's not all I am. Yeah, I actually did this too. Okay. And then he also claims that the Beatles um, stole what? come together from no. <laughs> everything is stolen. Yeah, I don't know if I buy it, but oh well, you know what? You don't believe in Ray Parker Jr. Yeah, I don't know if I do believe in Ray Parker Jr. How many Ray Parker Jr. t-shirts do you own? None. Hmm. I only own three. Yep. All right. Ray Parker Jr., y'all. What's next? January. Sorry, I'm breathing into the microphone. January 17th, 1977. Mm-hmm. Nike's Just Do It slogan. Mm-hmm. Do you remember a previous episode we talked about yeah, that? We it did. was inspired by the last words of Gary Gilmore. Well, this is when Gary Gilmore was executed. Oh, okay. He said, remember he said... Uh, let's do just, it. Yeah, let's do it or go, just go, just kill me now. Yeah. <laughs> just kill me now and they Pretty turn it and just do it. Yeah. Uh, he was executed by firing squad. Okay. Um, and they changed it to just do it for Nike. But this was the day that happened. And then January 22nd, 1977, Stevie Wonder bursts onto the Billboard chart mm-hmm. for six days. With a song called I Wish. Oh, I feel like I knew it when I heard it. This is a great song. I mean, you're never, it's going to be hard for you to find a uh, Stevie Wonder song that's A bad. Stevie Wonder song that I don't How think about, is great. That's what friends are for. That that's what friends are for, for good times that and sucks. bad times. I'll be on your side forever. I think part time lover's kind of shitty, too. Part time lover. Well, you're a terrible person. I, I just, there's some of his. You, eight, go, you go to hell. Some you of get his off 80s my stuff sucks. His 70s stuff is awesome. I just some don't of think his I, 80s stuff sucks. I can't continue to work with you or be married to you if you're going to say stuff like that about Stevie Wonder. What are you wearing your old classes? Um, my new ones are my car. Oh, God damn it. God damn it, you. Um, and my new ones are, I don't know. Stevie Wonder is, no, Stevie Wonder is great. Everything he's ever done is great, and you're a terrible person for not understanding. But this song is great. Um, I sing, that's what friends are for. I sing every day to one of my friends. I sing that song. Thank God, that friend thanks God for you every day. Every single one of my friends. Not the same friend. It's always a different friend. My high school friends, we have a text chain going. Once a week, one of us will put the lyrics of that out to the other ones because we're such good friends. You're good buddies. Yeah, check that out, baby. You can't fuck with Stevie Wonder. Yes. Got it? Mm Mm-hmm.
I wish those days would. I wish. I wish those days yeah. would. Yeah, that's it. That's the song called I Wish. It was released in 76 as a single and included on the album Songs in the Key of Life, written and produced by Stevie Wonder. The song focuses on his childhood from the 50s into the early 60s. That's a great album. I wonder if he says, I wish I could fucking see. Yeah, well. Because it sucks by that, being blind. There's always that fable that he you wish you could see, and then he, he wakes up and he can see, and his voice is gone. And then he can't, and he can't play he can't any sing music. anymore and play music anymore. And then he gets his wiener stuck Careful in a vacuum cleaner. Uh, Will Smith sampled I Wish for his 1999 hit Wild Wild West. Okay. The song is heavily referenced in Happy Feet. Okay. And Animal Kingdom Let's Go Ape, whatever the hell that is. Yeah. Chris Tucker used I Wish as the intro to his first full-length comedy special, Chris Tucker Live. Okay. And the song is used in the opening of Cheaper by the Dozen 2. Alrighty then. You can kind of see that as like a opening yeah. montage to mm-hmm. a silly movie. Yes. And then January twenty third, the very next day, Pink Floyd's Animals album was released. Oh, that's a big deal, right? You know that album? I'm not a big Pink Floyd fan. Well, are you are you familiar with the fact that the progressive rock band Pink Floyd is tied uh, that they tied a giant inflatable pig mm-hmm. to a power station as a publicity stunt? No, I didn't know that. You know how they the, the album has like a giant pig on it? Like they at their concerts they'd have a big inflatable pig. Oh, okay. Um and so uh they they did this uh as a publicity stunt and the pig broke free. Okay. And floated over Heathrow Airport where all flights had to be grounded to avoid collisions with huh. the pig. That's pretty good. Hashtag pigs. <laughs> No, we're not. Hashtag. We're not doing Pound that. sign pigs. In preparation for shooting the cover of the Animals album, plans were made to fly the 12-meter, 40-foot, helium-filled balloon over Battersea, Battersea Power Station on the first day's photo shoot. And they had a marksman prepared to shoot the pig down if it broke free. But what happened? However, that day, the pig was not launched. Okay. As they weren't ready, I guess. Um this is all according to Wikipedia, so it could be wrong. On the second day, the marksman wasn't present because no one had told him to return. Oh, somebody got fired. The pig broke free due to a strong gust of wind on the third day, gaining a lot of press coverage. It disappeared oh. from sight within five minutes oh, and was man. spotted by airline pilots at 30,000 feet in the air. Can you imagine that with the pilots? <laughs> like, oh, shit. There's a giant pig. Like, talk about highway hypnosis. They probably get some kind of version of that where all they see is clouds, and then all of a sudden here comes this pig. They probably had a heart attack. When pigs fly. Then Flo from Alice yeah. was like, when pigs fly. Oh, pigs fly. Now she's got to do. She's gonna make love to Mel Sharples. Think of a new catchphrase. No, you, no, she probably told Mel Sharples, "I'll have sex with you when pigs fly." And now pigs fly, so she had to have sex with Vic Tabak. It could be. Yeah, when pigs fly. Um. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, flights were then canceled uh, as that pig flew everywhere eastwards from Britain and out over the English Channel, finally landing on a rural farm in Kent that night. The right. pig was recovered and repaired for the resumption of photography for the album cover, but the sky was cloudless and blue, thus boring. However, the pictures of the sky from the first day were suitable. Eventually, the album cover was created using a composite of photos from the first and third days. And that's where that. So now you can I look see. at that album cover and know all that. Know all the history. So of all that you thing. people who are just shoving pills in your mouth to listen to Pink Floyd and watch uh, Wizard of Oz together. Yeah. All that. LSD tablet people just look at your album and know that that flew away 
okay. caused a problem. You didn't know that before that. No, I didn't. Never heard that. The more you know. January 28th, 1977. That's my mom's birthday. Oh, well, guess who died on her birthday? Who? Guess who murdered himself on her birthday? It's a celebrity suicide death, y'all. Mm. Hey. Who, who commits suicide on my mom's Matt birthday? Truman, play the celebrity suicide death song music. We have celebrity suicide death music. All right, what, who is it? It's Freddie Prinze. Oh. He I shot himself. Freddie Prince suffered from depression. I mean, she wasn't born on this day. She no, but she... Do you think she remembers all of her she, birthdays? She might remember if something like that happened on her birthday. Freddie suffered from depression, which deepened in the weeks after his wife filed for divorce. Oh, bummer. On the night of January 28th, after talking on the telephone with his estranged wife, Freddie Prince received a visit from his business manager, Marvin Dusty Snyder. Mm-hmm. You know who that is? Are you familiar with him? No. Nope. With Snyder looking on, Prince pulled a gun to his head and shot himself. Yipe. Prince was rushed to the UCLA Medical Center and placed on life support following emergency surgery. His family removed him from life support, and he died at 1 p.m. on January 29th, according to Wikipedia. I wonder if there was ever any, like, like um, talk that maybe he, the guy killed him. Do you know who Freddie Prince Jr. is? Yeah. That's his son. Plays Fred on Scooby Doo movies is pretty yep, much all I know him for. That's his big claim to fame. Yeah. In nineteen, I mean, he's probably a bunch of other stuff. He was a heartthrob for a while. Yeah. But Freddie Prinze Senior was he was he's a groundbreaking comedian. Like he's oh he is yeah he was like one of the first ever. You know how I don't know if you you know how on Johnny Carson mm-hmm. if you're a stand up on Johnny Carson and you get invited to sit sit with him yeah. you've made it like yeah. that's the shit. Most comedians are just like, oh, thank you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. If he invited you to sit down, that means that it. was like your career would take off. And he was one of the first ones that oh, wow. was very young. It was like one of his first appearances. Mm-hmm. And he, Johnny Carson loved him so much. And it kind of uh, made his career. And he was real young. So he sort of got fame early and he became yeah. super well known. Chico and the Man and all that stuff. Um, uh, anyway. The death. Listen to this. In 1977, the death death was re- ruled a suicide. Mm-hmm. However, in 1983, in a civil case brought by his mother, a jury found that his death was medication induced and accidental. Okay. This enabled the family to receive a significant life insurance settlement. Because he wasn't suicide. So, if what? you commit suicide, you don't get life insurance. No, you don't. Really? You do not. Yeah, you definitely do not. Your family does not. Yeah. Really? I yeah. never knew that. No, I've, I've known that forever. Uh, he had a history of playing, uh, Freddie Prince had a history of playing Russian roulette to frighten his friends for his amusement. Mm-hmm. Although he made farewell phone calls to numerous family members and friends on the night of his death and left a note stating that he had decided to take his life, uh, he it's still. Uh, he, he did leave a note saying. She still got the settlement. Oh, wow. Yeah, because she, she was able to convince them that it was because of medication. Mm. Which it could be, who knows? Yeah, but there's a lot of pressure to be super young and super famous like that, right? And and to be a comedian, there's a, they're I mean, all depressed. Name one comedian who's got nonstop hilarious albums. Like everybody's got like one that's pretty good. Well, and, and not they to got, mention eh, they're all so they're all depressed people. Yeah, they're sad. I mean, mm-hmm. to make it in comedy, you have to tour the world, yeah. like tour everybody, be alone, and club at night after night being judged by yeah. people who just want you to amuse them. 
it's a sad, sad life. Um, <laughs> Happy New <laughs> Year, Happy New 2019. Year. Yeah, it's everything be great. sucks. Everybody who makes you laugh is miserable and yeah. in pain. Probably. Um, and all my grandma's friends are dead. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, she did say she did. She had one. This is a funny joke. She said, "I got to give her credit." She okay. said, "Who's that on the TV?" And it was it was Christina Aguilera. Yeah. So I thought that's Christina Aguilera. She said, "Gazundite." <laughs> <laughs> I think she was hoping it was a longer name, but uh, still, she still got it. She's waiting for that. That was her punchline. She yeah. was she was getting you to set her up. Anyway, uh, Freddie Prince Jr. was only less than one year old when his father died, and he did not speak publicly about it until he discussed it in the documentary Misery Loves Comedy, directed by Kevin Pollack in 2015. Okay. And then January 29, 1977, Rose Royce cheers us all up oh. by taking over the number one spot on the Billboard chart with Amy's karaoke smash song working at the car wash those of you who oh, haven't met amy don't know body. this but many people who do know amy this song makes them think of amy <laughs> because amy has sang this song what would you say if you had to guess how many times you sing that's a karaoke lots 500 it's a cl- it's a crowd pleaser. It really is a crowd pleaser. People love the song, and everyone gains more respect for Amy when she sings it. But uh, I still have friends to this day that text me and say, "Tell Amy Car Wash is on." I just thought of her. Huh. Um, That's pretty funny. So Car Wash is this was the group's debut single. That's a good movie. Uh, it, uh, I think I think it's a really good movie. It doesn't hold up. I don't think. When George was the last Carlin's time you watched it? it? Um, well, I mean it. It's been it's over forty years old, but I think I watched it probably twenty years ago. I don't know. I felt like it held up. I watched was... it when I met you. Yeah, probably. And George Carlin was in it, so that's always good. Yeah. I don't think it'll hold up. I don't it's know. it's just kind of like there's a lot of the seventies movies like Smoking the Bandit and stuff where it's just like the <laughs> there's so many th- scenes and things that could be cut that don't follow the storyline. Yeah, it's just that's like, true. What is happening? Is this yeah. part of the movie still? That's true. Oh. I thought it had like a, me- a poignant message, or there's a serious part to it. Is there? I yeah, can't there's re- I like don't a, remember. There's like a, a plot line with one of the characters that's serious. Maybe it is. I just yes. remember being like George Carlin walking around. Like he was a cab driver. Was that, I think a DC cab. No, he was, no, a he was in. Yeah, he was in car wash. Yeah. Um, anyway, this Pryor. is their this is their debut single, and one of the no- most notable successes of the '70s disco era. It's a theme of the 1976 motion picture Car Wash. Yes. It was Rose Royce's most successful single and the lead single from their debut album, The Car Wash Soundtrack. Sweet. So former Motown Records producer Norman Whitfield had been commissioned to record the soundtrack album for Car Wash. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to do it. But he decided to for financial reasons, as well as the chance to give Rose Royce a disco funk backing band that Whitfield signed to his own label in 1975. Okay. The exposure they needed to become mainstream, but unable to develop a unable to develop a theme song for the film, inspiration finally struck Whitfield while playing a game of basketball, and he allegedly wrote his first draft of Car Wash on a paper bag from a fried chicken eatery. Ha. Huh. How cool is that? That's pretty good. The resulting song sounds set like the mood and tone like for the comedy film a little bit. It's, I bet it's true. You think? Yeah, just like well, you know, you got you got Sylvester Stallone using a big pen, writing out Rocky on a napkin. Yeah. Um, actually, he actually wrote the first draft of Rocky on his penis and balls. All right. 
Then he stamped, a big stamped it on the paper. Then, yeah, he just like ink, ink, ink plotted it on yeah, <laughs> his ball sack. Why? And the entire the entire script of Rocky was written written like that. On Sly Stallone scrotum. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so every time you watch Rocky, just know that it's, there's only enough dialogue to fill up a scrotum at a time. It took him yep. years. It would have to take him years to do something like that. Yep. Did you know that um, the the boss don't mind sometimes at the car wash if you act a fool? I did know that. Have you ever had a job where the boss don't mind sometimes if you act a fool? Yeah, I probably have. All right, what's next? Amy once had a job where she um, took it. everything out of the closet and filled it with blankets and pillows <laughs> and took naps in it. <laughs> right. What do you have to? I had Epstein Bar. You didn't have Epstein yeah, Bar. That's what the doctor told me. It's had, called I had hangover. I had, it's a hangover. Those are called hangovers. I have mono. <laughs> when you don't tell the doctor how much you drink, and then you ask them why you're so tired, they're going to say Epstein Bar. But when you tell them, hey, I drink every night because Tuesday is Taco Tuesday, and Wednesday is spaghetti night, Thursday and Thursday is wings, wings night, and, and Friday is all-you-can-eat fish, and then Saturday is Saturday. It's the weekend, and then Sunday's football all day, and then Monday's Monday night football, and then Tuesday's Taco Tuesday again. Yeah. They're going to say you have Epstein Bar. But <laughs> those were called hangovers. <laughs> hangovers. Yeah, that nap would fix me right up, though. It would. Mm-hmm. So... You can't blame her. Nope. Children, take a lesson out of Amy's book. February 1st, 1977, a temporary layoff at Workforces, the girls to take jobs as taxi dancers. Oh. They earn money by dancing with men for 10 cents a dance. Is this the Charlie's Angels? Nope, it's Laverne and Shirley again. Oh, okay. Jeez. <laughs> it's just Laverne and Shirley are just whoring themselves out they in totally 1977. Are. They're just... Everything Vernon Shirley who was February 5th, 1977. Mary McGregor takes over the number one spot in the Billboard charts with um, possibly the worst song that I've ever heard in my life. Which one is it? And makes me want to kill myself. What is it? Torn Between Two Lovers. Torn Between Two Lovers. Feeling like a fool. Loving both of you is breaking all the rules. I'm gonna. That's going to be my new karaoke song. Now, i I got to say... It sounds better coming from you. I don't Maybe it wasn't know that about bad. that. It probably wasn't that bad, but it is about a threesome. Yeah, that's true. Well, not really no, a threesome, but being a love triangle. In a love triangle, yeah. that's right. This was written. Do you know who this is written by? Burt Bacharach. Here you're. No. <laughs> that's what <laughs> no. they all are. Everything's written by Burt yeah. Bacharach. Peter Yarrow. You know who that is? No. Okay. Guess who Peter Yarrow is? He Peter, <laughs> Paul, or Mary? Oh, that's right. He's, he's Peter, Peter from, from Peter, Paul, and Mary. And Mary McGregor. Do you think she's Mary? Oh. She's not. Oh. You got Don't me excited for a minute. She's not. Okay. I, I assume she was too, but she's not. Okay. Uh, I didn't but, think it didn't sound like Mary from Peter. Mary from Peter, Paul, and Mary has a real deep voice. And that, She does? Yeah. What's, and, what's a Peter, Paul, and Mary song? Oh, they sing all. They, they sing Blowing in the Wind. Uh, and up and Away. No, that's no. the Fifth Dimension. Oh. They sing um, Blowing in the Wind and If I Had a Hammer. and If I Had a Hammer. I'd hammer in the morning. I'd hammer in the evening. Well, anyway. Uh, I love Peter Palmer. Torn Between Two Lovers inspired the, inspired the title of a television movie aired in 1979 starring Lee Remick, George Papard, <laughs> Joseph Baloney. Joey Baloney. I don't think that's right. 
and the song is played. In Joey Baloney, that's not right. It says Joseph B O L O G N A. Baloney. My Baloney has a second name. It's B O L O G N A. Joseph Baloney. Joey Baloney, y'all. All right. I was more excited about George Papard because he was an 18, but Joey Baloney. Okay. Yo. What's next? My name is Joe, and I'll give you my Baloney. It says Joseph Bologna. 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 Okay. And then we come, we stumble all the way to February 8th. Oh, we do, do we? Yeah, you got anything about February 8th? I'm going to take a quick five, and then we'll get into it. Oh, great. You just take five. Do whatever you want. I'll take this moment to plug the Queen City Podcast Network. Queen City Podcast Network uh, is a network of awesome Charlotte-based podcasts. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. And if you would like to sponsor History for the Jerks, American Timelines podcast, please email Joe and Amy at historyforjerks at gmail.com. Just let us know how much you'd like to give us and what you'd like us to say. Here's what it would sound like if I was going to plug your product. While I record a podcast, I get thirsty for delicious IPAs. I like tropical, juicy, smooth New England-style beer. That's why I drink Boom Sauce from Lord Hobo Brewing Company. Wilburn, Massachusetts, USA. Hashtag Boom Sauce, y'all. My grandma said, um, she said, how do they get, how do they convince these men to, at these New Year's Eve shows to wear these flamboyant outfits? I said, Grandma, they're gay guys. They're fabulous. And then she said, I have to go wash my hand. I sneezed into the wrong one. <laughs> what? At one point she said, thanks for sitting sitting here with me. This is, this is probably my last New Year's Eve. Jeez. And then she said, look at that midget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, as I want to do, I'm going to go back a little bit. How do you spell want? I think it's W-O-N-T, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, to August 13th, 1932. 1932? Oh, that's when Matlock was on. No, I didn't go. I didn't do any research for 1932. August of 1932. Take us back to our Wayback Machine. Yes. Anthony G. Tony Caritzis. That doesn't seem like a real name. Was born in Indiana. He went to Ben Davis High School where he was an excellent student. Was Ben Davis High School named after Ben Davis? Probably. Who's Ben Davis? Then he served in the Army for two years. And he was known as a hard worker with a hot temper. Hot temper, y'all. Watch out. He became the owner of a mobile home park at the age of 26. That's a young That's a young age to become an owner of a mobile home park. Kind of entrepreneurial. Yeah. Right? One of the tenants recalled that he carried a shotgun around the property and that he had a temper. Yeah, pissed off guy in a mobile home park with a shotgun. I don't yeah. see anything strange about that. He had posted five mile per hour signs around the mobile home park and using the shotgun would stop people who were breaking the speed limit. Yeah, I would do that. When Tony was 34, he shot at his brother twice when they were arguing about money. Yeah, that's not probably good. That's probably not. That's frowned upon. Nobody was injured. Tony was arrested. Mm. Uh, charges were eventually dropped. Poor Tony. When he was 41, he cornered two men from the utility company, and he was armed <laughs> with an axe. He was upset that they were coming onto his property. This see, this reminds me of Mike <laughs> Wamer's dad. They uh, were installing new gas lines. That's so he, why they were there. 
they were installing new gas lines, and he approached them with an axe. With an axe, because he was mad that so they were on the property. This is the, along the lines of Mike Waymer's dad, a guy I went to high school with. Now, he had one of these circle driveways, like that you could go in one and come out the other end. Yes. And we would do what we call Waymer 500s. We'd go off the, because he lived on kind of a busy road where the speed limit was 55. We'd pull into his driveway, and we'd, we'd just do circles around his driveway. Oh, my like, God. Just forever. Like, they were like Indy 500. We'd like, do Waymer 500, yeah. And, and uh, we just loved it. we do it. A lot of times, and one time his was dad he with you. No, he, oh, he lived there. You know, but his dad. Something I don't think he was with us when we did it. Um, but his dad one time came out with, running out with a, with a hammer. A hammer. Oh jeez! <laughs> and he like started like hitting people's bumpers with a hammer, yeah, and chasing he's us. Probably pissed. You yeah. could have you could have wrecked something, idiots. <laughs> think about it now as a as a ma- a dad and a homeowner. And if somebody is doing I that, I have my a driveway. hammer too. I had a circle drive. <laughs> Jeez, he could have crashed into his Way house. Way more 500s, y'all. But anyway, we thought that guy was fucking crazy. They had a lot of guns. Go but ahead. Listen, yep. I would have been right there with him if I had some idiot teenage boys doing a donuts in my front yard. They weren't in the yard. It was in the driveway. It doesn't matter. So way more five hundred. You could have lost control of your car real easily. No, we couldn't have. Oh, my God. We were great. All right. So no charges were filed that time. No charges are filed for the incident with the electrical people. His anger was said to be fearsome and quick and heedless of consequences. Well, this isn't going to end well, I just don't think. You don't think? You think there's some clues? Yeah, if I had to guess. Another report was that Tony chased his sister with an axe and was arrested. Was his sister a bitch? Once again, the charges were dropped. Other people would say that he was a saint. His neighbor oh. said he was the nicest person anyone could meet, and he would deliver that neighbor's groceries for, or do her shopping for. It's unprecedented how wrong neighbors are. Yeah, it is. Neighbors are always, he seemed like a very nice guy. That's he always true. said hello to me. That is very true. And I love our neighbors. Like, I love our neighbors. Wait a minute. What's going and on? They're probably all murdering people. So, he love ran baby. hot and cold. Okay. He fell on hard times in the 70s, living off his rental properties. He owned some land that he wanted to turn into a strip mall. Oh. But he was very behind on his payments to the bank of the property, though. So he was trying to negotiate a big sale to developers that would solve the issue. I've never seen a strip mall I didn't love. But he thought the mortgage company was steering buyers away from his property and saying that he was a risky investment. Those assholes. He thought the mortgage company wanted to foreclose to get their hands on the now valuable property. You're probably right. He owed $130,000 on the mortgage, and the company had given him a lot of breaks, but in 1977, the company finally dropped the hammer and decided to foreclose. Drop the hammer. It's time for action. That's a lot of money in 1977. So at the start of business on February 8th, 1977. Oh, you mean the same night that Policewoman was on NBC? Didn't you already talk about Policewoman? Yeah, but I know we talked about Policewoman. That according to uh, NBC, that follows Sergeant Pepper Anderson, LAPD's top undercover cop, a member of the criminal conspiracy unit. And Pepper works on the wild side of the street where she poses as everything from the gangster's mole to a, sci- a streetwalker to a prison inmate. But this episode is Angie Dickinson. This episode the, it was the Killer Cowboys when Frank Converse plays an airline pilot from Pepper's past who comes back to get her just a year or two after his wife's death. Right. That's on NBC. That's the same night as that's on? Yes. Why would you just... The, same, the start of business this day. All right. Yeah. Uh, Tony paid the last of his many visits to the fourth floor offices of the Meridian Mortgage Company in Indianapolis. 
He'd been there dozens of times during the past four years. The um, $130,000 mortgage on the land was due March 1st. And Meridian had told them they could not give him any more extensions. No more extensions, Maine. Sorry. The, the debt was to be paid or the mortgage would be foreclosed. Sorry, pal. Tony had on this day neither the money nor the prospects and res had resolved to take action of a different sort. Ooh, a different sort of action. So the company receptionist didn't think there was anything threatening about him. He was this little man in his mid-40s who wore only a cardigan sweater against the cold and windy day. Oh, just a little pussy in a sweater. His left arm was thrust into a blue sling looped around his neck. And in his free arm, he carried what appeared to be rolled up plans or blueprints and a cardboard suit box from a local department store. Yeah, I wouldn't be concerned about that. He asked first to see the senior Mr. Hall, who was the owner of the mortgage company. Okay. And being told he was wintering in Florida, I asked to see his son Richard. I would like to winter in Florida. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice to winter someplace? I'd like to winter somewhere. Richard was not yet in the office, but was expected shortly, and Tony and the receptionist chatted until he arrived. What do you suppose that conversation was like? Eh, is it cold enough for you? Fuck you, I'm about to kill somebody. Oh, yeah, it's, it is chilly, yeah. I'm going to kill, I'm going to murder everybody. So, uh, when he came in, Richard Hall noticed Tony and invited him to join him in his father's office. He wasn't surprised to see him there. Some days earlier, Tony had asked that a payoff statement be prepared. Okay. So, um, also, Hall also noting the rolled up plans, anticipated their discussion would involve the payment of the mortgage. Yeah, because he got the plans and exchanging the blueprints. And so he had come to regard Tony as an intense, emotional, suspicious person oh. whose business talents fell considerably short of those required to put together successfully the kind of land development deal it was his dream. What? Say that again? He thought he was an intense, emotional, suspicious person, yeah. but his business talents fell considerably short of those required to put together successfully what his dreams were. So he he said, "This is a suspicious guy who who wants to do big things, but he just he won't be doesn't have the talent." So inside the office, only a few steps away from the reception area, Tony made this curious request. He says, "Dick, do you mind if I close the door? My shorts are killing me, and I want to adjust them." <laughs> well, that's a good way to get to shut the door. You don't want Peggy to see your crotch. Yeah. So he told him to go ahead and turned his attention to some papers on the desk. A few seconds later, he looked up to see Tony facing him. The sling had been removed from his arm, and a handgun was aimed at Hall's chest. Oh, snap. Hall was ordered to remove his coat and tie and to sit in the chair with his back to Tony. First, the suit box, from the suit box came a sawed-off 12-gauge shotgun. Sawed-off shotgun, hand on a pump. There's a lot of Cypress Hill songs a cable, here. A cable, now listen, you got to okay. figure this out. A cable loop that had been attached to the forward end of the gun was slipped over Hall's head and tightened around his neck. Okay. The stock of the gun had been sawed off and shaped like a pistol grip. Okay. A cable attached to the trigger led through a hole drilled in the rear of the trigger guard and formed another loop that Tony put around his own neck. So basically, what? if Tony were to fall, or if anything happens to Tony... That gun will go off, and it's it'll aimed, shoot. It's aimed right at him, and right shoot at him. his head. In his head. Okay. Okay. Now I'm sure he had explained this, like, "Hey, I got this rigged up so that if anything happens to me." Yes. Yeah, so he reached for the telephone and dials nine one one. Who does? Tony. When the right. dispatch answered, these were his instructions. Now I want you to send two police officers to this address, and I'll tell you when you call 
I'll tell you what you can call, tell them. Now, I, wait, hold on. This voice is too sexy. I'm getting too... Stop. No, stop. no. Do more of a gross guy that I no. don't want to make so we All look. right. I've got a 12-gauge sawed-off automatic shotgun. I've got a dead man's line on the trigger. There's three shells in the fucking gun. There's one in the chamber and a man with a gun on his neck wrapped around it with a cable that's holding a fucking safety in his hand. And if anybody yanks on me, yanks the gun, makes a false fucking move, he will die right here. Now, I know they'll do anything to save this man's life because everybody thinks I'm, they're going to think that I'm a mad man, me, a deranged motherfucker. Well, I ain't. I'm mad at these motherfuckers trying to take everything that I've got. Actually, that's pretty good. In hindsight, that was a good voice, and I don't want to have sex with you at all. Okay. But I'm still a little confused. So, like, Tony stays so, on the f- phone for over a half an hour. And he's told them he's got this guy in there, and he's got it rigged so that, just so I understand this again, there's like, yes. it's called a dead man's line. It's got that's, a name. I guess it like does. Like, that's a thing people guess, know. Yeah, I guess it is. So, he's got it wrapped around so that the, the gun is just sitting somewhere. No, the, the gun. Tony's holding the gun. He's holding the gun towards the guy's head. On the, yeah, it's, and it's attached around his neck with it's a wire. Around Tony's neck. On both their necks. Both their necks. Yes. Why is it on the other guy's neck? Because it to keep it to keep it aimed at his aimed head. at him. So yeah. it'll, so if he lets go of it, it'll still shoot him. I think. I if don't he know. Falls down. I don't know. It, there's you'll you'll be able to see. You'll see. It's just confusing. Okay. So he stays on for over a half an hour with the 911. All right. He was trying to make sure no one would interfere with him as he, according to his plan, moved his hostage from the office to his apartment a few miles to the west. Okay. Why wouldn't he just do that and then call 911 if he didn't want anybody to interfere with him yet? That's a good question. Well, I don't, we'll see. You'll see. I'm confused. He demanded a car and, want, and warned repeatedly that if anyone tried to shoot or capture him, the rig on the shotgun would cause it to discharge and kill Richard Hall. When it appeared that the police did not intend to send anyone into the office, Tony, with a shotgun attached, ordered Hall to move to the stairway. They walked down four flights of stairs, through a narrow lobby, and out onto the sidewalk of Market Street. That's exhausting. I'm exhausted. one of the busiest streets in Indianapolis. All right. And so um, it's the temperature on a nearby bank thermometer at 11 degrees, and Ooh, both men cold. were in shirt sleeves. Wow, cold, no coat, and 11-degree weather, man. Yep. <laughs> it's not a joke. The scenes filmed from this point on by television news cameramen must surely make the abduction one of the most memorable in criminal history. Oh, my God. So we can see this on YouTube, I'm sure, right? Flanked by straggling columns of incredulous and helpless police officers, Tony marched his hostage to a nearby parking garage, and he tried to commandeer a vehicle there. Okay. In the garage, he tried to grab a vehicle. Announcing to his hostage that they would walk the seven miles, he then headed Hall to the west along Washington Street a major Indianapolis thoroughfare. For four blocks, Tony kept up a string of threats and epithets directed at his victim and at the police officers around him. So he's walking up the street, and he's cussing, and the police are just standing around. They're, like, helpless. Yeah. They can't do anything. Um, Hall slipped on some ice at one point and began to fall. Tony flexed his knees to go down with him. And the news cameras all got it. You can see him walking this guy with a gun to his head. Yep. A block further on, he encountered a police car stopped at an intersection. Then he forced the driver, the policeman, forced him out of the car, took a pair of handcuffs from another officer, got into the front seat of the car from the left side, and pulled Hall into the driver's seat. Oh, and shit. Then he directed Hall to drive to his apartment. So Now, you can, if you watch this, you just look this up on YouTube, Tony Caritis. Caritis. Caritis, K-I-R-I-T-S-I-S, 1977. It's funny, you were saying that police... 
officer thing right as it came up. Um, so you can watch this in real time. They're in short sleeves. It's cold out. There's police everywhere, but they're just holding off. They don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, so that's crazy. This is all on. This is like a movie, but it's real. It's real. Oh shit. Okay. All right. So then they get into his apartment. Um, Hall was handcuffed, chained to a heavy metal weight and locked inside they, the bathroom. Did they follow him? No, they couldn't. I mean, he, he, he didn't, he wouldn't let him go, go in the, his apartment. He got up into the apartment and locked himself in there with Hall. Okay. The police went to the apartment across the hall and that's where they staked it out. Okay. And that's how they tried. That's from, that was where the command post kind of became. Okay. became. So all over the apartment were placed strings with keys attached at various places. Tony would later warn the authorities outside that this was all part of an intricate detonating device that would cause the apartment to blow up if there was any attempt to be made to enter forcibly through a door or window. And he was taken at his word. Um, as he was getting into the police car uh, before they got to the apartment, yeah, a car behind him crashed into a pole because the drivers were so distracted. Was watching everything. Yep. Oh my gosh! So is that all on the part of it? Camera? Oh yeah, it's right there. That's yeah. That's crazy. Just uh, as you said that, it was on the YouTube. And so, but taking hostages wasn't a big thing yet. In and so the police didn't have any hostage negotiations. Yeah, they didn't know what to do. They had no idea. So Tony is in his apartment, right, with the, with Richard Hall. He um, got on his phone and he starts calling friends and other people. Tony does. Yeah. And strangers start to call him. His number was listed. So strangers start to call him just to chat. And the cops start getting busy signals when they try to call Tony. So they finally cut the phone and had a new number issued to Tony. Yeah. Okay. Then they learned that Tony didn't know what he wanted. His plan was to get Hall into his apartment, and that was already done. So they weren't sure. He wasn't sure what he wanted. They didn't think. They didn't think he had a plan after this. Right. So at very... they began to set up for what was to be a 63-hour standoff. 63 hours? A conference telephone call to Tony was arranged by a deputy sher- sheriff who was a personal friend. And during this conversation, the authorities began to understand Tony's motivations and his demands. Okay. He believed that Hall's mortgage company was out to get his land. Yeah. That they'd misused confidential information he had given them. Yeah. That he had tried to attract his own prospects to other sites in which they had a financial interest and had actively discouraged potential tenants and other financial institutions from doing business with him. Uh, in exchange for Hall's life, he had to be assured of the following. He was not to be arrested, booked, fingerprinted, mugged. He was not to be made to spend any time in jail and was not to be required to see a psychiatrist. That the mortgage company was to admit all wrongs they had done to him. That he was to be paid appropriate damages for his lost profits. He was to be indemnified by the mortgage company for any civil liability that might flow from his acts. He was worried that, among other things, someone might have suffered a heart attack while witnessing the abduction. So he was worried about being indemnified from all those people who had freaked out. So, um, you know, like, that's... So then Tony's brother Jimmy shows up with a group of friends. Oh, yeah. Tony's got a brother named Jimmy. They're probably eating popcorn. Like, hey, and check they, this out. They go to the apartment across the hall, and they're yeah. trying to talk to Tony. They're and trying to help. They try to talk talk him out of what he was doing, but he was just too, Tony was just too angry. Then Tony calls a local radio station oh, and boy. spoke to the town's main news anchor. Hi, I'm Wild Bill. What's going on? Oh, it's Tony. What? 
Well, this news anchor began to be a mediator between Tony and the police. Oh, it was a news anchor. It wasn't like a wild morning show. Yeah, it wasn't. Oh. But um, Tony started to believe that he and this news, Fred Heckman was the guy's name. Fred that, Heckman. That they were friends because he thought he was trustworthy. And Tony had seen him on TV most of his life. So, so they are friends. He's so a trustworthy character. He kind of became this mediator between Tony and the police. Yeah, that's what my, uh, that reminds me of my grandma on New Year's Eve was like the local news breaks in at 11 and she's like, don't turn off Lee Conklin. He's the only person I trust on television. He's a local, <laughs> of all the people. He's a local TV guy. Yeah. So um, by Wednesday afternoon, Chief Gallagher, who had been frequently on the telephone with Tony, was beginning to discern some progress. Okay. The mortgage company had issued a public apology for whatever wrongs they had done to him. But, of course, then the rep from the company immediately denied the company did anything wrong during questioning after the statement was made. After everything was after, safe. No, after the no after this, like they said that they did they apologize or whatever. Yeah. And then they took questions, and then during questioning, they immediate the rep immediately said, "No, we didn't do anything wrong." Even when Tony was listening in mm -hmm. there and had the guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's not helpful. That doesn't sound helpful. So they did erase Tony's debt, and they told um, them to say and do whatever was needed to get Richard out alive. Yeah. So. Mortgage company has erased his debt. They've issued the apology. Um, now, this is crazy, everybody. You can see all this on, not mm -hmm. all the erasing the debt, but you can see all this on t on the YouTubes. Then somehow Tony's new phone number was leaked, and the cops were forced to, cu to cut it again and get another phone oh number. Oh, my gosh. So people are, random people are calling in. Yeah. So he continues to call people, when, which the we cops never listen to. I know. They started, the cops even started graphing his moods at the command post on, like, a graph. Like, Holy he always crap. really pissed where his now. Where go and try to yeah. uh, figure out where they're going to go. But bomb-sniffing dogs t t detected large amounts of explosives around his um, car. And in the apartment, he had a weight in the middle of the apartment. Well, I already talked about that. He this was chain hall, too. This guy's nuts. Can you imagine if this happened in present day? All the media and the Twitter and everything that be going and, on. But at the same time, coverage. don't you kind of get it? Why like, he did it? Like or how he he's did like the this, the little man being pushed around by these big fucking companies that think they can do just fuck you over. I don't know. He owned a goddamn mobile park by the time he was twenty six. I'm just saying, I I would never do it, but. I kind of get it sometimes. I mean, they just buy you out and take your like, land and do whatever. He was you, facing you're like short financial on your payment, ruin, yeah. and they, there's no, you know. Yeah, I think most of us are like us, where we're like one major debt from just being broke. I mean, yeah. like, right? That's we have right. so many bills, like, we can't pay them all. Right. Like, so anyway, anyway. Um, late Wednesday afternoon, February 9th. Tony heard a radio broadcast from an on-the-scene reporter. Oh, February 9th? Late afternoon yes. February 9th? You mean the same day that NBC, according to IMDb, aired Tales of the Unexpected? Ooh, that it's, sounds like a good one. It sounds like a good one, but it was an anthology series presented that presented stories of suspense, mystery, and science fiction, usually with some sort of twist ending starring William Conrad, David Burney, and Bill Bixby. This episode was The Mask of Adonis. An isolated medical clinic boasting a fountain of youth treatment attracts the attention of film producer Alexander Rush. When he witnesses another patient age rapidly, Rush learns that the price of eternal rejuvenation may be more than he's willing to pay. 
God, that was so boring. Boring? I read it awesomely. You know, that was really boring. You know so, what? Well, February 10th will be way better. February 9th, um, Tony was heard on. a radio broadcast All from an on-the-scene reporter that the bomb squad was readying some mats and other equipment and that this might signal an attempt to break through the walls of the apartment. Oh, he's like, oh, it's going to be Tony Rescue Hall. So he is infuriated. This guy's pissed. And you watch his YouTube video. According he just looks like a guy you don't want to get pissed off. Yeah. He looks like Joe Pesci, kind of. Yeah. According to Hall, he became angrier than he had even been during the abduction itself. And so he's on the brink of losing control at this point. So And he's not so not losing control because he's so excited and he no. thinks he likes it. No. He's I'm about to pissed. lose control and I think I know he's So pissed. then in qu- there's a quick succession of uh, telephone calls. First, Tony called Chief Gallagher at the police command post, cursing and claiming he was going to blow up the building and kill Hall. He demanded Gallagher come to the apartment and that his that his brothers because his brothers had just left and slammed the receiver down. Attempts by Gallagher to call him back and and calm him down were unsuccessful. Then um, they get Fred Heckman back involved. Fred Heckman is the lifesaver, baby. And they get um, the You're news director me, to come and he becomes the mediator. Um, come on, so then Fred Gallagher Heckman. calls Chrysitis or Tony again and told him the authorities were ready to discuss immunity. So he refused to discuss it. So then they they hold get on, hold on. Is that a helicopter? No, it's a Trans Am. Those guys no. those Trans Am. Okay. Okay. So um he tries to get him to talk to discuss immunity again and he refuses. At this point an old friend of of, of Tony's who had been among the, those in the apartment across the hall. Yeah. Offered to call and tell him about the immunity. His friend's voice had the desired calming effect, and he read the, the immunity agreement to Tony. Hey, baby. Telling him it was the most legal looking document he had ever seen. It's a very, very legal so document. So then, baby. two lawyers show up to represent Tony. Okay. Lawyers. Nobody likes lawyers. They were told the immunity deal was for real, that oh, Tony got immunity. The lawyers were? Mm-hmm. So they believed it. They believed it. All right. Day three, Tony want, decides he wants to hold a press conference live on TV and radio. You know, everybody, he's awake all this time, right? He's not yes. sleeping and the stuff. It's just time. the whole time. Yes. So, supposedly there was... Uh, People go crazy when they don't so sleep the, for three so days. So, he wants a press conference live on TV and radio. Oh, boy. And so, they they get it they get it set up. They did it? Yes. A live press conference? Yes. I hope that's in this YouTube video. Yes. So... Um, supposedly, though, there was a marksman on the roof, and they were going to shoot Tony. Uh, you know, they were supposedly according to him, like he uh, thought this, or the, supposedly according now, to news reports. Like we think this, is yeah. Still, okay. Um, so the media and everybody gathers in the media room of the apartment complex. Okay, and then Tony comes in with the gun still to Hall's head. Yep. He was completely. Everything is completely silent except for the click of the cameras no they all look tired right because it's filled with journalists yeah and, TV and nobody's stores. saying anything oh my god holy shit and what's gonna hall, happen hall looked absolutely fatigued i bet he and tony wasn't in great shape either and have a gun to your head for three days straight 60 hours of, without sleep holy shit so tony ordered the tv media to turn on the cameras okay he wrote turn a, on those fucking cameras he he, probably yeah did. he probably did he wrote a statement that hall was holding and was supposed to read he wanted Hall to read. Hall had to read it. He wanted him to, yeah. Oh shit! But Hall had this two-inch gash in in his neck because of the wire. Yeah, that you could see on the YouTube video that I've watched so far is just them coming out of the first place. 
you could see Hall like pulling on that wire. Yeah, like, he's like holding because like, you can tell it hurts his neck. And and he, so he can barely read. Oh. So Tony snatches the statement from Hall. Like, you know, yeah, give me that goddamn give thing. Me that I'll fucking, fucking read it. Oh shit. And the the funny thing, the People's Choice Awards were being broadcast. And yeah, People's John, Choice Awards that same yeah that same night. John Wayne had just won an award and was stepping up to the podium to give a speech at the same exact and time. Broadcasters cut away to um, Tony at about the same. To give his now this speech. is the fir- this is February tenth, right, or February ninth? Tenth, so. I think. No. Oh, because February tenth. <coughs> The people. The, this was the third annual People's Choice Awards. Oh, did you? A, is that what you had to talk no, about? I did. I did see that, but I oh. picked. I picked what was on the other channel. Oh. Uh, People's Choice Awards was on. Um, uh, I don't know. It was on a different channel. Yeah. But I love that they interrupted John Wayne's speech for this. But on, on ABC. Now this was a, a must see TV night. So you had. They probably broke into this too. Well, they broke back then. They broke into all of them. All of them, all right? of them, yeah. but PBS. And yeah, they broke like, in all of them. So this is sad. Everything was like that. You you this... didn't have just the presidential address on one of them. It was everything. Well, this is sad that. because listen to this lineup on February tenth. They had at eight p.m. Uh, they had Welcome Back, Cotter. Sweet. With the uh, the the was, this episode was called Lydia, the Littlest Sweat Hog. Gabe mm-hmm. learns that Julie is pregnant and he can't understand why she's less than thrilled to be having a baby. Eight thirty. What's happening? Okay. What's happened is the greatest show on television. A trio of black youths learn about life, love, friendship, and credit cards, gambling, and a variety of other things while growing up in an inner city. Tonight's episode, The Firing Squad, surely gets fired from Rob's. And then at 9, the captain of the NYPD 12th Precinct and his staff handle the various local troubles and characters that come into the squad room. That's right, Barney Miller. This episode is the sex surrogate. Barney investigates a sex clinic that more closely resembles a brothel. Okay. Okay, so they break into all those shows for this press conference. Yes, so... They break into John Wayne's speech to the people, the third annual People's Choice Awards, and what happens? I gotta know what happens next. So they they cut away and to Tony just standing there about to give a speech. I'm at the edge of my goddamn seat. I'm standing up right now in our podcast studio. Then Tony gave the most profanity-laced tirade ever seen on television. Yes! He called himself a national hero. Well, he is kind of. He got very emotional. At times, people feared he would shoot Hall because he got would yeah. get very upset. Yeah, I'd be worried about that, too. Then he started to cry. I'm concerned. The oh press God. did not ask any questions after the speech. It was just silence. Holy shit. How long was the speech? Well, oh, hold on. Uh-huh. So Tony had praised police chief Gallagher. What Tony could not see was down the hall from the media room, there were SWAT teams waiting to... He didn't know that they were there. He didn't know. And just a quick clarification to this is not Gallagher who smashes watermelons when uh, a a police chief. But the police had consulted a doctor to find out the best place to shoot a man where he drops the quickest. But they don't want him to drop because he's going to. The plan was the chief came in and he had a handkerchief in one hand and his gun in the other. Yeah. And he was going to take out the handkerchief when he was ready to shoot. Yeah. And then he was going to pull his other hand out with the gun in it and. When the guy on the other side saw the handkerchief, he was going to reach up and and push the um, the gun up to the ceiling. That The one that was aimed at Hall's head yeah. was going to push it up to the ceiling. Yeah. So. Um, oh, shit. That's a crazy plan. 
That's a crazy was, plan that just might work. So everybody was on edge. I'm on edge. I can't sit down right now in our podcast studio, our home <laughs> podcast studio. I'm standing up. I'm going to drink the last swig of my boom sauce. All right. So two to th- there were two or three times Tony got so emotional that the chief would grab the handkerchief to pull it out, and then Tony would calm down again. He got so emotional, baby, but then he put away the handkerchief. Yeah, that's right. Because... And they knew that if Tony didn't give up the shotgun after the speech, the chief would shoot him for sure. So Tony wasn't going to be allowed to go back to his apartment was the bottom line. Okay. It's all going to end here. It's going to end here regardless. The rant lasted 25 minutes. 25-minute rant. That's all on YouTube, isn't it? Yes, it is. Oh, God, I can't wait to watch it. Tony finally stops talking. Then chief turned to the news media and said, all you people get the fuck out of here. The chief said that? Yeah. So then the news media file out, and then the police lead Tony into a side room. In their room was a bunch of police. Um, He unwired the shotgun from Hall's neck, let Hall go, went over to a sliding door, shot the gun out the window, and said, I've been wanting to do this for three fucking days. Tony? Yeah. He shot the gun, he just shot the window? Out the window. Just not shooting anybody. Right, and he said, I've been wanting to shoot this gun for three fucking days. And he let him go? He let a guy go? Then the cops grabbed Tony and arrested him. That's it? He was informed he wasn't going to get $5 million or immunity. He said, that's a cheap shot. It is a cheap fucking shot, especially let the guy go. Let him have his strip mall. When they raided Tony's apartment, they found wires hooked to plates with burning candles above cans of gasoline. A few of the cops were on Tony's side. They felt that Tony was just a guy who had a bad day. Hall Because you had a bad day. <laughs> you take it went down. Hall gave a press conference. Tony was an atheist and Hall was a deacon, so they had spent a lot of time talking about God, I guess. Yeah, I bet for thing. three days of non-sleeping. The next day, people were upset because Tony had been lied to. So the people in the community... They were starting to get on Tony's side? (laughs) Holy shit. So at Tony's pre-trial hearing, he was strapped to a gurney ranting and raving. Tony's lawyers pled not guilty by reason of insanity. Wait, his lawyers pleaded not guilty? They said not guilty by reason. Oh, for him. They weren't saying they weren't guilty. Sorry, I'm an idiot. Yep. The lawyers, they pleaded not guilty for reason of insanity, strapped to a gurney. That looks insane. Yes, but he took the witness stand and... He had a range of emotions. He came across very likable for the most part. I like him. I like him. Then there was character witnesses testified, and Tony won. He won the case? First jury verdict of acquittal on live TV. What? And when After the, all that hostage situation that's live on YouTube? When the, when the verdict was announced, it was announced live during a Pacers game, and the whole crowd cheered wildly. What? He's like every man. Yep. That, because he let him go. That's what that's when he becomes a hero. When he lets him go, yeah. you're suddenly on his side. You're, he's not a monster. He didn't murder anybody. He let him go. Yep. He shot out the window. Richard Hall had a nervous breakdown. Yeah, he, he did. He became quiet and depressed. He never gave another interview. He lost Oh, Richard his Hall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the TV news had issues with the question about responsibility and power and who was in charge. They were at the mercy of anyone who wanted a news story. Um, Later, they said they would not have stayed live if they could do it over again. Yeah. And then that brings us to the 1997, January 22nd, 1997, when Republican Bud Dwyer killed himself live on TV. Yeah. And that was actually not carried live. That was 97, wasn't it? It was 97. I know we talked about it a long time ago. but It It was not carried live because of 
Tony Caritzas. Yeah, they but, cut away because of that. But they, several news stations chose to air the footage in its entirety After throughout the, fact, the day. Even though they knew. Yeah, even though, and, yeah that's why you can the, see that it, on YouTube. And it ha- that also happened to be a snow day. The, oh, there's all these kids, kids saw, were home, yeah. and they saw the suicide. Yeah, that's so, the one. Remember we talked about earlier in our, in our first season? I couldn't watch it. Yeah. I looked away every time that's I tried right. to watch it, and I couldn't. I'm mm-hmm. glad. Yep. I don't want to see that. So Tony died, and he was a it, he in, he was a car sale. He went back to being a car salesman. Yeah, that's probably after good. that he he got on medication. I think I bought a car from that dude. He died in 2005 of natural causes. Where did he die? Did he go to Illinois? Uh, remember we bought that. Say. Remember we bought the Hyundai Sonata. I think it was Tony. It was from Tony. Richard Hall still lives somewhere in in Minneapolis. Poor guy. I wonder if he's a Vikings fan. <laughs> and that's the story. That's more story of than Tony Kuritzis in the. That was a good one. I was on the edge of my damn seat. I had to stand up half the time because I couldn't wait to find out what happened next. If you don't like that story, I'm sorry. Then, then I don't know what you, to tell you. Yeah, there's nothing we're gonna do for you uh, on this podcast, and it's just not for you. But if you love that story. Give us five stars on iTunes. That's Give right. us um, go to our Patreon. There's a Patreon somewhere for American Timeline that I don't remember how to get to. Yeah, because I think um, it's about time to get out of here, Chuck Berry. Give us a hundred million dollars. Um, yeah, I think we'll um, we'll stop it there. We'll stop. You know, I don't know. I guess we could mention that Manfred Mann's "Blinded by the Light" became the number one song on February nineteenth. Revved up end. like a douche. Is he saying a douche? Yeah. So that's what I think. With that song, revved up like a douche, and a buddy. I always thought it was. It's commonly, uh, it's commonly heard as wrapped up like a douche, mm-hmm. but the lyric is actually a reference to a hot rod deuce coupe. So they say oh. revved, not wrapped up, revved up like a deuce. And, uh, you know, it's originally Bruce Springsteen sang the song, and it's cut loose like a deuce when he sings it. Well, but uh, th- it sounds like they're saying douche. Wrapped up. like So Bruce Springsteen. Do they know that it sounds like they were saying douche? Uh, probably. But Bruce Springsteen, you know, he originated it. You okay. know, the, the original Blinded by the Light. You know, Bruce oh, he Springsteen? did? Yeah. I didn't know that. And he says, cut loose like a deuce. And they change it to revved up like a deuce. And it sounds like wrapped up like a douche. <laughs> but Bruce Springsteen, he was fond of classic hot rods, so he likes revving up on a deuce. Um, and why he said, cut loose like a deuce, another runner in the night. But he joked about the controversy, mm-hmm. claiming it was not until Manfred Mann rewrote the song to be about a feminine hygiene product that it became popular. So he loves that it sounds like wrapped up like a douche. I've listened to it so many times. Mm-hmm. It definitely sounds like wrapped up like a douche. But it's That's com- what I mean. Like in playback, they had to listen to that and know that it sounds like there's an, an SH yeah, sound at the it. end of that. But if you if you listen to it if you in your mind, if you want to, if you think you want to hear wrapped up like a douche, you'll hear it. If you think revved up like a deuce you can hear that too it's just like the grover the purple dress blue there's, dress or whatever yeah well the there's the current was. the new one is the grover come did you hear about the no. grover from sesame street you didn't hear this no i played this for the kids and the kids and i all did this and my mom while we were at home there's a sesame street episode where grover says um he says i think that i think that's a great idea but uh if you listen it sounds like he says i think that's a fucking great idea but he says, I think that is a great, I think that's a great idea. I think it's a fucking great idea. No, I don't know. And if you, you play it, and I can hear both, mm-hmm. and it's whichever one I th- I think about, I consciously yeah. think about before I listen to it, I hear. What do so the I can kids hear? So I can hear it both ways. 
It's the same thing for the kids. They nope. My mom and the kids couldn't hear the F word until I told them until I like lip synced where the F is and yeah. then, then they could hear it. Really? Yeah. So that was the big controversy over the break, the Christmas break was the Grover Sesame Street controversy. Great. Like, Did I'll he say the F word? Did he not say the F word? I'll hear about that at school. Yeah, and, and you will listen to it and everyone's everyone listen to this now, it's old hat. They've all listened to it already. Yeah. And some say, Oh, I can only hear F and some say I can't hear it at all. Yeah. So nobody could hear it until I would like show them where it is and then oh geez, now we hear it. But what I find is whichever one I think about, it's right. like, you know. Um anyway, so it's just like that. I think that's where the wrapped up like a douche is the same thing as that. And then uh Yeah. I think we should just finish February because I just got two more and they'll start with All right. March. How about that? Okay. okay. Uh, February 22nd, Shirley wins a honeymoon vacation in a fancy hotel and she and Laverne decide to take advantage of it. And Carmine poses as Shirley's husband and they sneak Laverne in. But after Carmine leaves, the girls quickly find out the hotel is intent on getting as many publicity photos of the married couple as possible throughout the vacation. Why are we doing Laverne, Laverne and Shirley, and Shirley and then, <laughs> episodes the whole time? And then February 26, 1977, the Eagles take over the number one spot with New Kid in Town. You know that yeah. song? Yeah. Do you care about it? No. Everybody's talking about New kid in town. It was written by Don Henley, Glenn Fry, and J.D. Souther. Not one of their best ones. Yeah, they. so there's uh, a little controversy about this. The song was rumored to be about Bruce Springsteen, who was gaining fame when the song was writ- written. Oh. Like, like everybody's talking about him, but he's not that great. But Souther has denied that. Okay. It's about the fleeting, fickle nature of love and romance. It's about the... F- fleeting nature of fame especially in the music business we were basically saying look we know we're red hot right now but we also know that somebody's going to come along and replace us both in music and in love oh and with that that's the end of yes. 19th of our first episode note. isn't that sad the poor eagles knew they weren't going to be great forever well i'm in love what are they trying to say that you're always going to be replaced well yeah i mean the eagles in love they knew that someday somebody would say oh are you are you Glenn Fry? Are you Steve Winwood? Nobody can tell no, the difference. No, I, I, in fame, but they said in love. Well, it's sexually too. Their wife would be like, "Oh, get out of here, Steve Winwood." It's oh, you're not Steve Winwood. Thought. I can't tell the difference between Don Henley, Glenn Fry. You're all the same in bed. Speaking of in bed, it's time to go to bed. It's time to go to bed. Oh fuck! Get out of here, Chuck, Chuck Berry. Berry. Chuck Berry's back. Well, that's the I end know. of episode forty-six. Our first episode in 1977. Thank you for being with us. Our first episode of 2019. We love you. Happy New Year. And I leave you with this quote from my grandmother um, on New Year's Eve. She said. It better be a fucking good one. Grandma said, who is that? And I said, Grandma, that's Macklemore. He raps that it's okay to be gay. And Grandma said, I used to mash potatoes with my bare toes. What? That's what she said. And then she said, I said, Grandma, did you ever sing on stage? And she says, she said, no, they don't even let me sing in the audience. Yeah, boom, boom, Grandma. And that's the end of our episode. Thank you. Matt Truman's going to play some cool music. Yes. And go Take ahead away, and, and tell all your friends about us. We need we need help. <laughs> we need you to sponsor. <laughs> so we, we need sponsors is what we need. We need, yeah. if you have a product you'd like us to talk about, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about anything. Just give us a bunch of money. All right. Or, or drugs. Good night. I love you. Sexually.
American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.